Man, God is good. And all the time. Thank you, Jesus. You been enjoying your summer? You know, uh, I've been thinking this week about all the guest speakers and special speakers that we've had this summer, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And I don't know about you, but uh, I hope you have too. Um, and maybe the best is yet to come, because next week, Billy, Mr. Billy Cummings, is going to bring the word, and then we'll back. Then we're back to uh, our favorite pastor, Pastor Lucas. Thank you, Lord. You know what I noticed a little bit about every one of these guys that spoke uh, this summer is that almost every single one of them referenced uh, Romans eight twenty eight. <laughs> right? They all they all kind of hit on it. They didn't all speak to it, but they all touched on it. And today, you know, I want to kind of stay in the same kind of uh, arena. Now, how many here today believe that God works all things for the good for those who love him and are called to his purpose? Do you believe that today? God is working. God is moving. Matter of fact, um, in preparation of our, of our text this morning, and if you want to go there in your Bibles, we'll be in Luke 22. <clears throat> Luke 22 is where we're going to jump off. And at verse 31. But before we do that, I just want to, uh, one of the ways that God accomplishes his will in our lives, specifically if we're looking towards that Romans eight twenty eight, he does it a lot of different ways. But one of the ways he does it, I want to look at this morning, and one of those ways he does it is he sets us up. He sets us up for our good and his glory, Amen. God wants to set you up today. I believe there's people in this place ready to be set up. You know, I've learned years and years ago when I was younger that there were parts of my family that were very skilled at profiting in a way that it may not be conventional. Um, and where we're from, where I'm from, certain things uh, occur. And people profit off of other people's misfortune. And as a young guy, young, nine, nine, ten years old, with my cousin visiting family, we would get these lessons from time to time. And this one lesson I remember as clear as day when I started to prepare for this. And it's the art of the setup. You know, there's really three parts to it. There's the setup. There's the play, and then there's the take, or the score. And uh, he was teach us this for one specific purpose, because if you could spot the setup, then you wouldn't be uh, unfortunately mistaken care of, or however you want to say it. The just easiest way is it's, it's a con, okay? Listen, I got not a few leaves, maybe a branch or two that specialize in some of these skills. But today, listen, I'm, I want to talk about God's setup for you, for me, for his church. And uh, we find that in Luke. And let's just jump into it. Luke 22, verses 31. Before we just say 31, let me give you a little context. We're at the Last Supper. Jesus has done all those things that you've heard and read and, you know, studied about. 
you know, the Last Supper, the communion, and, and, you know, exalting his disciples because everything was about to go bad fast, and he wanted to edify his people, his, his men, right? And in verse 29, it says, before we get to our text, it says, as Jesus is, is encouraging his guys, he says, listen, my father has given me the kingdom, and you know what? I'm giving you I'm giving you a seat at the table, right? I'm giving you at a, a seat at the table, and you will judge in my kingdom. You know, edify. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's like, really? I mean, that's some exciting stuff. And then he goes to the setup. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like we. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, right? I mean, everything's going great in the sense of edification. And then all of a sudden, Jesus lays this on Peter. Peter says, in response to this claim, statement, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and even ready to die with you. Then Jesus shoots back and says, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then it kind of shifts. Everything's, being, everything's good. Everybody's being edified. Everybody's being encouraged, getting ready to set them up to let them know that, listen, things are going to get bad fast. Right? And then they just, Peter, yeah, you heard we just said that a little earlier tonight, there's going to be somebody that betrays me. And now, P, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me. There's the setup. What do I mean, the setup? Verse 31 says, clear as day, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, you get that? He has asked permission. Jesus could have said no, right? He could have said no. No, we got plans. We got, we got this, this thing all rolling now. Satan, no, you're not touching Peter. Matter of fact, you're not touching any of them. But he didn't. Why? Why? Because he was setting him up. His, 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 uh, the play was getting ready to happen, but the setup had to happen first. Peter, you're going to fail me. Satan has asked. Lord, you could have just stopped all this. Well, why? Why didn't he? He didn't because Jesus knows that failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is a part of success. And failure is something that's going to happen to you and me. If we are alive and breathing and living for the Lord, we're going to pile up some failures. Right? But he allows the failures to happen. It's a setup. Stay along. Stay, stay with me. Right? Have you ever, God ever asked you to do something that you kind of knew wasn't going to end so well, you know, 
You know you. I know me. I know when God asked me to do something, many times I got, I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to crash and burn in this thing. You know, because you know and I know that God usually asks us to do things that we're not comfortable doing. You know, like maybe talk to that neighbor that you've been ignoring or maybe like help someone you really don't care for or like very much or start a growth group. <laughs> right? Hey, I get, I get my opportunities. You know, God is setting you up today. God is setting me up today. He's setting me up. And Peter had to feel like he was being set up to fail. I'm here to tell you today, God is setting you up today to fail. Because there is no success without failure. Very important. We are looking at some of the most well-known texts in the Bible. If you've been in church at any period of time, you've heard this story. Right? So let's look at the play. We know the setup. Peter was just like, really? I thought I was, thought I was one of the top three. <laughs> but he's getting set up. Let's go down to the play in verse 54. All right? Jesus sets Peter up. And in 54, they come to arrest Jesus. That's where we're at. Same night, couple hours. And the text reads, So they arrested him, him meaning Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them. A servant girl noticed him in the fire, firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man, he was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted that he must be one of them because he is Galilean too. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And suddenly, the Lord turned. <laughs> the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And suddenly, the Lord's words flashed before him. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And then our text says that Peter left broken. 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 Peter's failure is probably the most known public failure of any Christian leader ever. You know, we see the, some of these people who fall from their position because of whatever sin. Well, none of them have anything on Peter. Peter blew it, and he blew it big time. He blew it big time. So, naturally, what is the question? Peter failed. What did Peter learn from his failure? He learned that he overestimates his own strength. He learned, or, or, or 
he confused his spiritual or his physical strength for his spiritual status, for his spiritual strength or faith in Jesus. He got him confused. How do we know that? Because in the midst of the arrest, when they came towards Jesus, Peter struck and cut the slave's ear off. And Jesus is like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not how we roll here. So now Peter's like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Right? He overestimated himself and confused his spiritual place, his, where his soul rested. He didn't understand some things until the failure. Right? You know, Peter, he failed or he followed at a distance. That wasn't Jesus' idea. That was Peter's idea. And sometimes when we fail and when we fall short and we, and we don't trust the Lord for certain things, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Failure will motivate us. Failure will cultivate us. God uses failure to build character in us. And that character that builds brings humility. And humility brings maturity. And maturity brings compassion for others. And that's what God wants. Right? But listen. You've probably experienced it. I know I experienced it because I fail at almost everything I do. But there is what I would call the funk of failure. That funk that kind of just kind of sticks to you. The, the reminding of yourselves and, and Satan desires to sift you as well. So he's going to remind you as well of your failures. There are some things we need to do as a church. Because I believe that God is setting up coastal. Not just individuals in coastal, but coastal as a body of believers for what is next. God's setting us up, and we're getting ready to play it out. And you know what? There's going to be a take, and there's going to be a profit from it playing out. But until we can fling off the failure, you know, the funk of failure, we're just going to delay the process. The process, you've heard that a few times with the guys that have been up here. The process, Bible scholars call it progressive sanctification versus positional sanctification. Listen, when you believed in Jesus' work on the cross for your soul, you have been positionally sanctified. Done deal, nothing can ever change it in my view. Amen. It's done. Right. Positionally, if you die on your way home tonight, today, you will go to be with the Lord. But there's also what, what those will teach is progressive sanctification. And what that is is simply failures piling on top of failures and learning from them so that we su succeed. We are being changed from glory to glory. We are being changed in another way from failure to failure. But failure doesn't need to be final, right? There's some things we need to do to fling the funk of failure off of us. It's got to be, you, sometimes you just got to grab it and fling it and get it out of here. 
right? We need to stop looking at things the way we see them and start looking at things the way God sees them. In other words, God's focus. We change our focus. So many times we feel like failures or that funk of failure that's sticking to us because Satan keeps throwing it back at us. <coughs> Excuse me. That funk, it's got to go. I take this funk and I redirect my focus on how God sees things and I toss it. The funk needs to go. The funk of failure needs to go. The, the, the simple truth of the matter is we need to be trusting God because he, the last time I checked, which was moments ago, he's still in control of your life. Sometimes we believe he's in control of like the world and like others, but not me. Well, I'm telling you, God wants to set you up. God wants to set you up. So listen, we have to forget. We have to accept God's forgiveness for our failures. We have to accept those, his forgiveness, right? Because his forgiveness is greater than my failures. His forgiveness is so much greater than your failures. Yeah? But here's the thing. Sometimes there are a segment or maybe it's a, a season of believers who will not forgive themselves. If that's you, if you're watching by the interweb today, and that's you, or you're here today, and that's you, I want you to understand something. If God has forgiven you, and you exalt yourself in a position higher than God's place, and you don't forgive yourself, you have just made yourself an idol. You have made yourself a little God. And that's a bad place to be. So if you can't forgive yourself, you need to understand, if you love Jesus Christ and he's proven he's loving you, that's what we need to believe. That's what we need to follow, right? Forgive ourselves because we're already forgiven. Your failures, my failures, didn't surprise him. Your failures will never surprise him, right? Sometimes we just have to simply increase our faith in God. In other words, Lord, I'm believing you for more. Maybe I just need a little more. If that happens, my faith is increasing. And a lot of times we don't do that. A lot of times we kind of back up. We kind of pump the brakes. The funk of failure, you know, we throw it off. It gets thrown back at us. We got a duck and it, or it sticks. We get it. We throw it because we're going to fail again. The Holy Spirit is there to teach us in our failure. Amen? Listen. Another way to fling the failure, the funk of failure, is God gave us himself and his word, but he also gave us, his church, each other. Each other. Sometimes we feel like failures because we try doing it all on our own, guys. And I'm the chief sinner of them all. Sometimes we just have to uh, allow our friends to help us out. God gave them to us. You know, God, that's his heart for you and me. And listen, after we're flinging all this stuff off us, we have to anticipate. Anticipate what God's going to do next. You know, Pharaoh, or Moses. Moses could stand in front of Pharaoh because he remembered what God did at the burning bush. That gave him the ability to stand in front of the most powerful man on the planet at the time and do what he was called to do. 
David could stand in front of Goliath because he remembered what God did in the field. You know, killing animals with his bare hands. That's God. You can stand in the midst of your failure because you know what God is going to do through them and in you. Right? So the take. We're flinging the funk feeling off of us so that there could be a profit in the end. The profit or the take or the score we find in John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And I'm going to read the first 19 verses because it's important. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so we had the setup. We had the play or the failure, and now we're going to see the score. Later, it'll be on the board if, you're not, if you don't have it. Later, Jesus appeared again to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. Verse 3, Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll all come too, they said. So they went out on the boat, and they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. Now, I don't know about you, but that has got to conjure up some, some thoughts of the past. You know, with some of these fishermen and some of the things Jesus did for them during the, you know, the revelation part of their walk. Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Throw it on the other side. Then the disciples, then the disciple Jesus loved, or John, the author of the book. I keep losing my spot. So then the disciple Jesus, whom Jesus loved, Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, he was the Lord. He put on his tunic, or he took his tools and got dressed and jumped off the boat, right? The other stayed with the boat and pulled the load, the loaded net to the shore for there were, they were, for they were only about 100 yards away from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Now, if that ain't a setup, I don't know what it is. You want to... You wanna, Put some guys in their place. You know, little, little food after a fishing trip is always a good thing, right? And they're all flock right to it. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Or Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. And there were 153 large fish. And yet the net didn't break. Now, a lot of serious, smart people have all these ideas about that number. 153, it's got to mean something, right? <laughs> don't, be, don't be derailed here. This is strictly, <clears throat> excuse me, this is strictly for fishermen's benefit. No one else's. Because if you know any fishermen, that number would change quite often. And the details of the catch would change constantly. So just so that they could settle the, 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 that, 
They gave him a number. Really? Not the trust? I mean, that works for me. That works for me. Now, verse 12. Now, come and have some breakfast. Here's the take. Jesus said, come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him who he was. What's up with that? Well, you know what? The disciple, Peter, wasn't the only failure in this time period. It said that, that Satan asked to sift all of them, not just Peter, all of them. So they had their own failures, which caused some funk, and some funk, and some cause and effect of the funk. They're like, well, we're just going to sit here and chill. We're not going to say nothing. You know, we know he knows. We're just going to sit here. They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them breakfast and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And here it is. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John. That's like my mother saying, James Brian Burns. You know, you're like, oh, man. You know, Jesus is using his whole, his whole, uh, his whole name here. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus says. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he tells Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then, catch this, Jesus told him, follow me. As opposed to in the beginning when he asked him. What did Peter learn? Because that's the takeaway. In our failures, if we don't learn anything in our failures, we will be doomed to repeat our failures. But God permits failures to cultivate things in our lives so that he can achieve the purpose that he wants to achieve using you. What did Peter learn? Or, or first, why did Jesus ask Peter the same question, in essence, three times? Well, again, some more people, theologians, scholars, professors, you know, all those guys, They'll tell you that the grammar of the text speaks volumes that, you know, there are so many words for love in the Greek and, and there's different aspects to those, to those words and different characteristics that play out different ways. Let me simple, let me dumb it down for me. God is saying to Peter, if you love me, God is saying to you, if you love me, you will take care of my church. You hear me? You hear, you hear Jesus? He says, if you love me, you will care for my church. 
That's the theology of it. What I feel for this moment in history is probably more impactful is the reason Jesus said it three times. Because there were three huge, gaping failures of wounds in Peter. There were these massive holes or wounds that happened because of his failure. And his whole chest is tore up. His soul has these holes. And every time that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And every time that Peter confesses his love for the Lord, God's hand of grace touches that hole, touches that place, touches that broken place in your, in your soul where failure has blown a hole right through it. Jesus knew, we all know, he denied him three times. Jesus also knew that he needed three touches. Three touches. Yeah, let's love each other. No doubt. Come on, let's get past that. We should be there by now. The truth is, Peter needed that grace to fill his life. Just like you and me. We need that grace to fill our lives in our failures. I think Henry Ford said, you know, a failure is nothing more than an opportunity to start over better. You know? Sometimes failure seems to be the end, but it's not the end. It's just part of the process. It's the way God does the setup, the take, and the score. He's the one that's going to do that for us. What did Peter learn? He learned, and what we need to learn and never forget. Can you just, just pause. Can you just imagine this passage of failure, greatest failure of all time probably, has been read more times and has been studied more times and people have heard the story more times than any other failure probably on the planet. Peter's like, wow, that's some stuff. What Peter learned in that great failure is that in the failure, God will never leave you. In your failure, in my failure, God never left Peter. Peter decided that he was going to disqualify himself from the apostle team and go fishing. That was Peter's doing, not God's doing. Peter learned that even in his failure, God is with him. And we need to learn so that funk, so Satan can't stick that funk back on you. We need to learn the truth that God's not going to leave me just because I blow it. He's not going to do it. It didn't take him by surprise. He didn't just throw him back a minute. He understood. Matter of fact, the setup is simply the fact that he has gone before us and set things up to happen the way he desires them to happen for us. So we learned that God's not going to leave him. Even in the worst failure recorded in the book. And we need to understand the same thing. Yeah, God's not going to disqualify you. God's not going to leave you. Which leads to the second and most important thing that Peter learned. 
And some of us need to learn the same. Is the truth is that in my failure, God still loves me. He loves me. He loves you. In the moment of your failure, when Peter, in verse 62 of this 22nd chapter, when Peter blew it, Jesus looked at him. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment. But when you fail on such a magnitude, such a measure, and God shows you he still loves you no matter what, that motivates me to fail again. You know, I'm not going to stop because I fail. Because that's part of the process. When you fail, God loves you as much as he could ever love you in the failure. He loves you as much as he could love you on the mountaintop and in the valley, in success and in failure. His love never fails. His love is always there, always there. So when I know that his love is always there, then I know that it doesn't matter how far I've fallen what matters is how far I bounce back. That's what matters. And for you, you may have fallen big time. You haven't fallen like Peter's fallen. But you may have fallen big time. God still loves you right there. Right there. Because we know that even in our failure, he works all things for the good to those who love him and are called to his purpose. He loves you. Matter of fact, he loved you first. He loved me first before I even professed my love for him. Failure's not the end whatsoever. Here's the take. A few weeks from this moment in history, Peter's going to go out and preach to those who crucified Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people are going to decide to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good church plant. I'm just saying, 3,000 in a day? Hey, right? Because, why? Peter could have just went fishing and, and just quit. But, you know, I kind of believe that God's not going to let us quit. He's not going to let us quit. Because when I fail and I quit and I'm gone fishing, he's going to be on that beach ready to accept me back when I'm ready. And some of us, we need to throw on our tunic and jump in the water and jet to that beach. When Peter heard it was Jesus, he threw all caution to the wind and jumped in because he had these holes that had to be, that, that he needed Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I need Jesus today. I need him. I believe that God is supernaturally setting us up. So, like, if you're here today and you're struggling with, you know, challenges and failures, I'm here to tell you that that's not the end. That's not final at all. The failure is part of the process. If we're not failing, we're not processing, right? So be encouraged. Do you know that Peter's statement in verse 33 when he said, I am ready to go to prison for you. I am ready 
to die for you, he fulfilled that. His words came to pass. He was ready. He failed, sure. But at this moment, at this moment, this chapter was written, Peter had already died. He had already fulfilled his statement that he was prepared to go to jail. He did go to jail. He was prepared to die, and he did die a martyr's death for the glory of God. So listen, just because you fail at one thing, God is going to give you an opportunity again to pass, to pass and to grow for his glory and our good, right? When we fail, we need to repent. I believe Peter repented when Jesus looked at him and he was broken. We need to repent, meaning to change our mind, you know, change the way we think to the way God thinks, biblical repentance, and confess. And when that happens, you know what happens? He fills those holes. He fills those wounds. He never intended you to slow down or stop the process. He knows what's best for you and me because he knows his purpose, his plan, his way is the best way. Even in my faults, even in my failures, God will never leave me. So this is what I sense. I sense that God is setting some people up in this place. He's got a setup going on in your life. And it's how we react to that setup that will dictate the profit or the take. He wants to move in such a way that would bring glory and honor to him and him alone. Failure should not be our teacher. Our failure should be our teacher. It shouldn't be our undertaker. Right? Failure is simply delay. It is not defeat. It's a temporary detour, not a dead end. Failure is something we can avoid by doing nothing for Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I know for me, I'm okay with failing. Failed as a father. Doesn't make it right or good at the moment. I failed as a pastor. I failed as a husband, as a son. But you know what? God loves me. And he loves you. And he wants the very best for you. So today, if you're here and you're struggling with that funk, right? If that funk is being thrown your way and it happens to stick from time to time, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because I've pulled some funk off, right? But then there's also, there's some people in this room or either watching by the interweb that is being set up to be redeemed. They're being set up. They've heard words from God's truth, and they're being set up for redemption. If you don't know him today, personally, not perfectly, but personally, 
If you don't know him today, I assure you, he's setting you up. Because I know that my God and your God tells us that he chooses you. You don't choose him. If you're in here today and you're struggling, I'm going to partner with you. So let's agree together in prayer this morning to defeat that struggle or that funk of failure. That feeling, that funky feeling of failure needs to go. The process needs to continue for his glory and our good. And if you're here today and you don't know him or you're out there somewhere and you don't know him, God wants you. God wants you. And he has promised by his actions to never leave you, to never forsake you, to always be there, even in the failure. The Bible says that if you believe that Jesus died for your sins, if you believe that act, that he wants to draw you to himself. So if that's you, all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Save me. Don't need a big, long prayer. You just need that. You need that hole, that wound to be filled with God's grace. And in his grace, things change. He's setting you up. He's setting me up. He's setting Coastal up. He's setting his church up because God's got a plan and that he can do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that I could imagine. His heart is to do that for us. But the funk of failure, that can't be around when that's going on. The process must continue. Jesus loves you. And so do I. Let's pray. Father, for it is in your son's name we approach you with just a sense of wonder and awe. Lord, sometimes it's hard for us even to comprehend why you love us. Particularly even when I fail you time and time again. But Lord, I know that you're never going to leave us. And Lord, I know that you... You're right there in the failure with us. You're in that trial. You're in that fire with us, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you that failure does not define us. Only you can do that. We thank you, Lord. We pray and agree together in Jesus' name, according to the blood, by the authority, and your word, Lord God, that for there anybody who has the heaviness or that funk, of failure that's stuck to them, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help them by the power of your spirit to fling that funk off. I thank you, Lord, that you love your people. You love your church. And, Lord, we're trying to love you back the best we can. So help us to push past the funk and to allow you 
to fulfill your purpose in us and in your church. I thank you, Lord. Failure is not final. And Lord, this morning as people by the way of the internet or even in this room, Lord, I know, we know you're setting up people. You're setting their hearts up, Lord. So, Father, I pray that your spirit will move over their heart. Lord God, that there would be a, a revelation, illumination, a, a falling of scales off our eyes, Lord, to see exactly what you want us to see. And we know that it is by grace that we're even able to be here now. So, Lord, for that person that doesn't know you, I pray today that you choose them. Choose them, Lord. And use us, Father. We pray that you would use Coastal for our good and your glory. Touch hearts and minds today. For I thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for that love. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Dad.